Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Ah, <laughs> oh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. <laughs> um, welcome to this session on uh, staying on my side of the road. Uh, my name is Tom. I am a recovering sexaholic. Um, and with me is uh, Brant, since we're at the microphone. Hey, you want to say hi? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> All righty. Each of us will share our recovery on this topic, and then we'll take a time to answer questions. And questions um, will be taken. It's like an ask it basket, but we have some um, some paper here. And I'm going to chair. And oh, okay, down on the chair also. So there's some more. Um, so as we go through this, if you have a question, get a piece of paper, write down your question, and we'll do the best we can to share our experience, strength, and hope about that. Um, and in the spirit of the fifth tradition to carry the message, this is a recorded session. The recording equipment will not be turned off during the session, and we ask that you please silence all cell phones. If you would, please, after a moment of silence, help me open the meeting with the serenity prayer. Prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. I will, not mine, be done. This is the essay purpose. Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and to help others to achieve sexual sobriety. Uh, with that, I'd like to introduce Brandt. Um, would you like to come up? Hi, I'm Brandt, and I'm a sexaholic. Um, so this is staying on my side of the road, or staying on my side of the street, um, which is step nine. If you didn't know, that's what you're here for, is this is about step nine. So from the uh, big book of AA, um, it says, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So making amends is comparable to keeping your side of the street, going with that analogy. Um, throughout the 12-step process, um, you're going to be doing a lot of inner housekeeping. And you take, uh, I, uh, in my process, have taken a hard, long look at the crap on my own doorstep. Um, 
uh, you're taking through the step nine process uh, and working this step nine, you're taking necessary steps to get your house in order and to clean up the messes related to your addiction. Steps eight and nine are about recognizing and taking responsibility for how your actions have harmed others. Ideally, cleaning up your side of the street and making amends to the neighbors will result, will result in healed relationships and a better connection, but you can't force this. You can't control how other people around you will respond when you begin to make amends. When you hear the phrase, be responsible for your side of the street, it does not mean that you should not mind your own business or minimize how your behaviors have negatively effect, impacted others. It does mean that you can do what you can do to resolve these conflicts and recognize that you are not responsible for the responses of those around you. In my experience, my amends have been mainly to my family of origin. My spouse, my kids, who are now adults, um, and my friends. My older brother sexually abused me when I was 11 years old, and he emotionally uh, abused me until he left for college. Um, when I got into recovery and got into therapy, um, I made attempts to make amends to him um, for my side of the street. And for me, um, that was resentment and anger. Um, but he would never let me make the amends. It couldn't even go there. He always had an excuse um, every time I came back to my hometown. I grew up in Houston, Texas, and uh, he stayed in Houston, and I came to uh, live in Lubbock for five years, right out of college, and then to Nashville. I've been here since 1992. Um, but when I would call him and trying to make an amends and to, you know, connect with him, he just stonewalled me. Um, he, he didn't want to go there. And I couldn't force that, you know, and that's, that's a part of the stickiness of the amends process if uh, the other party is not willing. Um, so <clears throat> I, I, what I make up is that he didn't want to go there and talk about our childhood and talk about um, really anything. He, he never um, wanted to go below the surface. He was always either sarcastic or raging or just, you know, stuffing everything down. Um, he was uh, shut down and did not want to re revisit the past. This was incredibly disappointing for me, but it was not a surprise. He didn't want to face the truth and deal with our damaged relationship. I had taken responsibility, attempted to make amends and ask for forgiveness, but there was nothing I could do since he wasn't willing to engage with me. So you can't sweep uh, someone else's side of the street. Uh, that's their, pro that's their um, duty. So um, this is not a, an easy place to, 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 uh, to be in. Um, you know, I, I, I really wanted to have some sort of reconciliation. I wanted to share with him, um, you know, about 
to ask for forgiveness for my resentments toward him and my anger toward him. Um, but I never had that opportunity. Um, it, it, for me, uh, I felt lonely. I felt powerless and um, just not happy that this was unresolved. Um, but often this is a reality for a lot of people. Um, you know, willingness to make an amends is the first step, but it takes two to tango, as they say. Um, my brother committed suicide seven years ago. We didn't have closure face-to-face at all. Uh, in fact, when he left, he left a suicide note to every member of our family except me. And uh, I, 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 I try not to, like, go there in my mind of why he didn't want to say anything to me. Um, but, you know... I just have to leave it where it is. Um, so I didn't have any closure uh, face-to-face and, uh, with him. But for me, um, at his funeral, um, I stood by his casket, and I was touching the coffin, and I was able to tell him that I forgave him for my resentment and for my anger that I had toward him. So uh, as you begin to make amends to others, It's good to long for and to hope for the very best responses and to take full responsibility for what you have done or left undone. Identify where your side of the road begins, your side of the road, the street begins, and where it ends and keep it clean. But know when to stop and know when to wait. When I stay grounded spiritually, I tend to live proactively. The emotional ups and downs of life do not affect me the same way. I seem to be able to take life in stride. It It means that for me, that no matter what happens, I can rest at night knowing that I've done my best and when things need to be straightened out, I can face it. It's helpful to bounce issues and relationship problems off with my sponsor, trusted friends, or my therapist. Sometimes we don't fully see our part in these situations, and an extra set of eyes and ears can help us sort out problems um, that I encounter. Another way to do some street sweeping is to always tell the truth. Dishonesty and recovery can prove to be a fatal trend. Many addicts have relapsed because they could not tell the truth. Keep in mind that the truth is something you don't have to remember. No matter how difficult it may be, don't lie. Lying will keep you in the negative headspace which encourages your addiction. And you can't afford this illness. If your side of the street is clean, you'll sleep easily at night. When something is nagging at you and you just don't feel good about it, Take action. The more you practice, the easier it becomes. Keep doing the next right thing. Let others worry about their own side of the street. And with that, I'll close. Again, my name is Tom, and I am a recovering sexaholic. I really enjoy just the process of, of 
breakout sessions. I'm looking at my notes and I'm listening to Brant going over every one of my notes. Uh, kind of tells us that, and we've never met until this weekend, and uh, we're already on the same page, and I think that's not a coincidence. Um, so I'm going to go through a few of the notes. I will repeat some of the things that, that was shared already, because that's my experience also. Um, you know, starting with amends, uh, we're taught in step eight and a half that amends actually starts in a little bit different place, and that would be with forgiveness and learning how to forgive others. Um, in my experience, um, it was pointed out to me that how can you actually make an honest amends when you're not even willing to forgive yourself or others? And so uh, I did a lot of work, and I continue to do a lot of work to make sure that I'm in the right place as far as being able to forgive myself and, and others. Um, I was taught, and I also teach my sponsees what I call the gold medal apology. Uh, the bronze medal is, I'm sorry, um, and most anybody can say that. The silver medal would be, I'm sorry, this is what I did, which is really important because it validates the situation, both with yourself and with the person that you're making your amends to. The gold medal is, I'm sorry, this is what I did, and this is what I'm doing so that never happens again. It tells the person that you're making those amends to, and it tells yourself that you're in a process of recovery. You're working on yourself, and you're trying to make yourself a little bit better and allow God to work within you. Um, and so I usually, uh, I practice that one myself, remembering that uh, um, I, I want to get to that gold medal. Now, I'm going to be honest here. There's been some of my amends where I've, I've told my, my people that I'm talking to that I, I'm not quite to that gold medal, so I'm going to give you that silver medal, uh, and I'll be back. <laughs> I will be back, and I usually go back because I have more work to do within myself on that one. Um, you know, one of the things that was mentioned uh, in the previous share was about responsibility. Amends for me are about me taking responsibility for the actions and attitudes that I have created, the wreckage of my past, so to speak. Um, and when I think of that, it brings into uh, the next part of the equation, which is letting go of results. I was talking with someone even this morning about amends. And I have found in my experience that when I get wrapped around the results, the amends really aren't heartfelt. They're not an honest amends for me. It's I'm looking for somebody to make me okay. I believe that's called taking from others to fill up what's lacking in ourselves. Um, so what I do is I try to remember that how the, the results end up is out of my control. It's not my issue. My instruction is to make the amends. Going back to the aforementioned gold medal apology. And whatever happens, if, if, if somebody says, you know, that's just not quite enough, buddy, it's not on me. I did what I could. And if somebody says, wow, that's okay, everything's all right, I don't need to hear that. Because that's not, part, that's not why I'm making the amends. The amends that I'm making is so that I can be responsible for the mess that I made. And I can do what I can to help clean it up a little bit. Um, I practice letting go of results a lot. 
um, because in my addiction I was always, always wrapped around results. Because I did take from others to fill up what was lacking in myself. That was the core of my addiction. The addiction would make me feel better because I needed to feel better. Um, well, I found a different way in recovery and, and I don't need to take from others anymore. Um, I also have in my notes what was mentioned about telling the truth. When I was in my addiction, I still wanted to be a man of integrity and I couldn't do it. I could not be a man of integrity. Sexaholism and integrity just don't mix. So what has happened in the years in recovery is I got my integrity back. And part of that is telling the truth. Now, does that mean I spill my guts to everybody in the, in the room or whatever? Well, sometimes, yeah. But it's not necessary. It's, what, it's being just honest about where I'm at, what's going on, telling the truth, not trying to pretty things up, not trying to manipulate, all of those little things that, that were part of my addiction. So tell the truth. Be honest. Let your word be your word. You've heard before, let your yes be yes, your no be no, whatever it might be for you. Um, you know, I found in these rooms that I don't have to lie. I don't have to pretend anymore because everybody, everybody has been in that place and they accept me for exactly who I am and where I'm, where I'm at at the particular time. Um, another thing that I put down here is do what's right no matter what others are doing. Now, I'm sure nobody can relate to this, but gee, officer, everybody else was doing 95. <laughs> Does that make it okay? Not for me. So I, you know, I try to, even little things like that, remember we're supposed to practice these principles in all of our affairs. So even in little things like that, as simple as driving, if the speed limit says 70, maybe I'll do 70. Or 45, maybe I'll do 45. Do what's right. That's, again, part of that integrity thing about keeping my side of the street as clean as possible, as I know how at any given moment in time. Um, make good choices. Well, I think we all want to make good choices. I know I do. Um, I do that by checking in often with the people in recovery, my sponsor. Oh, remember that guy? <laughs> or gal, the person that you're supposed to talk to on a regular basis. Um, I've had my sponsor since 2007, uh, and I don't, I'm not ready to let him go yet because he still really works for me. I call him every week, no matter what, and more often if necessary. Um, I'm going through some things in my job situation, and so he's been getting those everyday phone calls uh, from me once again because I need to do that. So check in often with sponsors, with people in the program, so that you can check those choices. Remember, in my disease, it sure sounded like a great idea at the time. Um, and those ideas is what got me in the rooms. They weren't very good ideas, so make good choices. Um, another one that's only happened through recovery is own my mistakes. Um, I give myself permission to, to fail. Um, one of the things that I live by is that when I do my 10th step review um, and I check over, you know, the previous 24 hours, I'm not looking for perfection anymore. I used to look for perfection and because I couldn't find any, I was devastated. 
Now again, I had to go find something to make me feel better. Um, you know, now I own my mistakes. If at the end of the day, I can say that I did my best and I had a pretty darn good day. And that's all about making sure my side of the street was taken care of throughout the day. If it wasn't, I fail. Well, then I have some amends to make, going back to where we started here. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to talk about was a little bit of step 10, um, because that's where you keep up to date with keeping your side of the street clean. When I do a step 10 review, of course, I do all the things that I learned in step 9, because um, if I don't, all those things are going to end up on another step 9. We don't want that. Um, but it keeps me in a place of assessment of exactly where am I, what's going on. I ran from all of my mistakes, I ran from my feelings, I medicated, recreated, you name it, I did it all. And today I'm able to make an honest assessment of exactly where I'm at. When I think about spirituality and a conscious contact uh, with a power greater than myself, part of that is really knowing who I am. So when I say, you know, I surrender all, I'm not going to say, well, you know, all. I'm going to be able to tell you what, I, what am I surrendering at any given moment. That's important for me. You know, when I, when I talk with my higher power, um, I need also my higher power to reveal to me, what does my street look like right now? Where do I need to do some sweeping and some cleaning up? Um, the last thing I'll talk about is assets. Um, I remember my very first step nine and my sponsor said, you know, at the end of it, let's talk about assets. And I said, there aren't any of those. You know, look where I'm at. Uh, well, there were some. And there are some now too. And so being honest, again, with objectively looking at my side of the street, I tried to devoid myself of the emotion that I used to wrap around the results. What? There's a little dirty spot over here? Well, the perfectionism in me said, we can't have that. Oh, woe is me. Now I'm able to look at my street and say, oh, got some cleaning to do. What a gift. What a gift. Because those were the things that I would medicate. Because I felt so bad. My self-esteem was terrible. God has given me my integrity back. A couple other things he gave back to me. First, the good news. He gave me my feelings back. Now the bad news, he gave me my feelings back. <laughs> but, you know, I know now. So, um, real quickly, uh, as I think of keeping my side of the street clean, to me, to me now it's a day-by-day -day, uh, review, a day-by-day -day, uh, place of honesty, integrity, doing what's right, making the best choices I can, and then moving on and doing the next indicated step. Um, today, right now, at this very moment in time, my street looks pretty good, but it is early, things could change. Thanks for letting me share. You're gonna come up after me. <laughs> okay, so we do have a question. And please, if you have any questions, if you don't, we're going to ramble. Um, so one of the questions says, please talk about the practical tools and methods you use to forgive yourself. I think a real big one 
for me that I was taught, um, and I don't need to talk about where I was taught, but I was taught was about affirmations, daily affirmations. Um, you know, and it's a lot more than, um, I won't mention the name, but we used to know a certain person that would say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. That's not really too far off the mark. It's being able to make this, as I said, this honest assessment of where am I at. Honestly, and I can't do that in and of myself. So, of course, that falls into that uh, step 11 stuff about prayer and meditation. Asking God to reveal to me what's really going on. Letting go of results, trying my best to take the emotion that I used to wrap around everything and just be honest. Just be honest. You know, there's that part about uh, in, in chapter 5 about... If you just have the capacity to be honest, you're going to recover. And so those, that's one of the tools that comes to mind. Um, the other one is what I also mentioned about checking in often with my sponsor, um, with people that I trust in the program that I know will tell me what they're seeing. Because there are times when I used to see a pretty good guy. I knew better. And I felt terrible, but my, he looks pretty good. And I wasn't able to get honest about myself. I need people to help me do that. Um, so those are a couple of things that come to mind for me. And I'm going to put Brant on the spot and ask you to come do the same thing. Well, uh, share a little bit or go on to the next one. Yeah, here's the next question. Um, what worked for you to stay on your side of the street? I'm used to try... I'm used to try cleaning both sides and the whole world and have tons of resentments. Um, I have a lot of practice of uh, trying to work on both sides of the streets, and I've found out it doesn't work, um, especially uh, in my marriage. That's really where I learned this the most. And I would say... Uh, I got into recovery uh, late in December, early uh, 2000, um, and you know, I, I did. As far as the relationship with my wife, um, a lot didn't change until maybe two years started in, into recovery, and. Um, I, I was on her side of the street all the time. I was pointing things out for her. Um, my wife and I are very different. Um, she's a starter of projects but doesn't finish them. She um, uh, isn't quite as tidy as I am. I'm not a neat freak. Um, but uh, anyway, I, I, I focused more on her defects and her... And they're not even just defects they're just her personality and the way she's made and I've had to learn that over time that um, just because she doesn't finish projects doesn't mean that she's a bad person or that she's flawed or that she's um, you know I, I was looking at my uh, way I approach life and expected her to to do the same 
and that's not fair. And uh, so the, the, the more I got involved in my recovery, and um, we also had some uh, great marriage counselors along, along the way, um, the best thing for me to do is to stay on my side of the street in the marriage. I have a truckload of shit that I need to take care of. And I don't need to be wasting time taking her inventory and um, trying to clean up her side of the street. My street has a lot of crap uh, on it. And uh, so, um, and I feel like I've turned a, a significant corner, you know, in the last, I don't know, eight years of our marriage. Um, you know, we're, we're very different. Um, I like to go to bed early. She likes to stay up late. She loves to watch the cooking shows and HGTV and Hallmark movies and, you know, um, and I used to judge her for that, you know, like that's so superficial and especially the Hallmark movies. <laughs> Everything works out in the end and, you know, it's perfect and, um, but I, I just learned to see, you know, that's, she just likes to watch this stuff. It's just entertainment. And it's not a, immoral, you know. And uh, let her be and let her do what she wants to do. And um, it doesn't have to be what I would, you know, want to do or what those TV shows I would want to watch. Um, but uh, so... Um, also, uh, going back to, you know, she stays up later um, than I do, and I get up early and go exercise and get ready for, um, you know, my day, and uh, she has more of a flexible schedule, which I don't, and, um, and uh, so I just quit, you know, trying to be the taskmaster and, and, and you know, just pointing out what I thought, you know, she shouldn't have this behavior, you know, because it's not like me, you know. <coughs> and so the when I when I learned to put into practice of staying on my side of the street and not asking her questions that are um, shaming. That's what I was doing. I was shaming her, and uh, and you know, if I was. Um, making comments uh, that were kind of underhanded, you know. Um, it was not productive uh, for our relationship. And I, you know, have had to make my amends in this department to her. Um, and now, you know, we have a, a much more harmonious um, relationship as long as I'm doing my part to not get on her side of the street. Because the minute I cross that uh, over there, it's just resentment. It's, uh, you know, me taking her inventory. It's, anyway, I'll stop with that. Any other questions? Um, yeah, I'd like to tackle a little bit of that. Uh, as I shared, um, what, what I practice is realizing that cleaning my side of the street comes from a place of honest uh, evaluation. 
Um, cleaning the other side, the other side of the street comes from a place of dishonest um, control, uh, manipulation. Some of those wonderful characteristics I had as an active sexaholic. Well, if I can't get you this way, look, let me come around over this way. Oh, you don't get it yet. I can help you. Let me come over this way. <laughs> and there was a lot of expectations wrapped around that. And of course, you've heard some of those slogans, you know, expectations, or excuse me, resents, resentments are uh, premeditated expectations. Um, expectations minus results equals um, disappointment, resentment on and on and on. And so you'd, at the end of the day, I'd go, why am I feeling so resentful? What's wrong with that person? <laughs> well, there was nothing wrong with that person. I set myself up, you know? And so um, I think one of the biggest words that I use in 12-step in recovery for myself and others, to actually two words. One is keep coming back no matter what. Whether you've been here one day or in some cases 37 years, keep coming back um, because God has something more for me and for you. And the other thing is practice, practice, practice. You know, I found that re just like my disease was progressive, my recovery is progressive. And it's still progressive. Um, and it will always be progressive. There's always something more I need to learn. Um, and so uh, keeping on my side of the street and away from the other side of the street uh, is most important. Brant gave a wonderful example that we can all relate to, those of us that have a significant other at home. Um, but this also works out in all my affairs, which comes from step 12, practicing these principles in all my affairs, at work. You know, I, I have the places of responsibility at work. And I really want to tell the bosses how it sh actually should be run. You know, if I was boss here, well, I'm, I'm not, I have my own management area. I don't have the whole management area uh, yet. <laughs> I am going through some things where I may have that. But right now, right now today, I don't have the big picture. I have a certain part of the big, of the picture. And I still feel this tendency to say, you know, maybe I need to share with them how it really should look. And if they ask me, I'm more than willing to share an opinion. We all have one of those and my experience, strength and hope. But I need to stay off of their side of the street. It's not my issue. They own the business. I don't. Um, and unless asked, I don't need to volunteer something that might help you. I can volunteer something that might help in my side of the street or my area of expertise. Uh, expertise, And I practice that. And more times than not, I get asked, what do you think about this area over here? Well, thank you for asking. I don't have an opinion on that. Yes, I do. And it's okay. But the key for me is state my opinion, state my experience, my strength, my hope, and let it go. And if they say, great idea, Tom, that's great. And if they say, I don't think we're going to go in that direction, that's okay. I've done what I can, and I don't need to be wrapped around the results. So I practice that. Practice, practice, practice. You ready for the next one? Yeah, and I'll let you take this one. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, what is your advice when someone invites you 
onto their side of the street. And then it says in uh, parentheses, codependence. Um, that's a great uh, topic um, because, you know, sometimes it's if, if someone's buttering me up, um, you know, to, oh, well, you don't, you know, this about my boss or my wife or my kid that's driving me crazy or whatever, um, you know, uh, that's not a good thing. <laughs> I, I don't, um, if someone is trying to entice me over, you know, I'm trying to stay on my side of the street and take care of Brant. I, I have enough time, energy in the day only to really take care of myself. I don't need to take time, energy, taking care of other people um, as far as, you know, the side of the street philosophy thing. Um, but, you know, there are uh, people that can pull my, push my buttons, and, um, and I think, oh, yeah, I need to step over, you know, on this side of the street, and, and I have some opinions I can give you, and I, I can tell you what you, you should do or um, whatever, and, uh, you know, I just try to stay on my side, and... Um, and sometimes I do that better than others, and sometimes I'm, uh, you know, not doing a great job about that. Um, so, you want to take the next one? Mm -hmm. I think one okay. Uh, another question is asked, being married, the two become one. Is there a point where two sides of the street become one? I find myself wanting to combine the two sides of the street into one harmonious street. Wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> the simple answer is yes. In my experience, um, where the two sides of the street become one street. However, there's always a caveat, isn't there? <laughs> However, my responsibility, my looking at my side of the street, is allow the other side of the street to be an individual. And we, when my wife and I do do uh, couple shares, one of the things that we share about is what well, a little thing that we call uh, colors. And we say, okay, so she's she's red, and I'm blue, and the couple ship is purple. But if I try to change any of that red that purple is going to be affected. And if she tries to change any of that blue, that purple is going to be affected. And so if we really want to have a harmonious purple, I better leave that red alone. I need to respect her individuality. I need to respect her opinions, her experience, strength, and hope. And when I do that, once again, I'm letting go of the results. And God gets involved, who would have thought, and all of a sudden we find ourselves on the same street. It's called cooperation, communication. Really it's couples uh, uh, tools that, that we've learned and others have learned. And they seem to work for us. Um, you know, my tendency as an addict and a manipulator, a liar, cheat, and a thief on a really good day, 
is to try to get involved in changing her side of the street. And then I wonder, why did the purple get changed here? Oh yeah, I did that. I did that. Um, and so we both work really hard to stay on our side of the street. In recovery, I am blessed, I am very blessed that my spouse is in uh, an Anon program um, and she does recovery with me. And so, um, and not everybody is blessed like that in both, in both programs. Sometimes uh, the addict is not in recovery and the Anon is and, and vice versa. And so I'm really blessed. And so we, we are speaking recovery and we are trying to live by the principles of the 12-step program. Uh, and that is tremendous help for both of us. Um, but again, trying to stay on my side of the street, I need to respect her side of the street. And also, when I think that something needs a little bit of cleaning over there, I'm not the one to point it out. You know, she has a sponsor. Let the sponsor point it out. Because if I point it out, well, you've heard this before, you know. So, Somebody will tell your spouse something and they'll go, wow, that's a great idea. And I'm over here going, I've been telling you that for years. <laughs> Why didn't you hear it from me? A lot of it is the attitude. The sponsor's completely disconnected and detached with love. And I'm so wrapped around the result, of course she didn't hear it. She heard where I was coming from, that's for sure. So again, I'm trying to stay away from the result uh, and, and just be responsible for my side of the street. The more I do that, the more intact that purple becomes, and I'm really happy with that. Um, ready for the next one? Okay, this one says, how do you stay on your side when a family member, person, who abused you as a child and abuse is unfair in the present. I don't know if I'm saying that, reading that correctly. How do you stay on your side when family member person who abused you as a child and abuse is unfair in the present? Um, well, I can only speak to my experience, and for those of y'all who come in uh, later since hearing uh, I was the first person to speak, um, my brother sexually abused me when I was 11 and continued to emotionally abuse me until I went to college. He went to college. And also, uh, the, the physical act of abuse was once, but he also would come into my room uh, naked uh, and being erect or not or just highly sexualized behavior uh, and, and actions um, just constant you know that was kind of the wallpaper of my childhood it, it, from middle school on until he left for college um, so uh, it is hard to stay on on your side of the street um, when there's a person who has power, you know, I'm, I'm a middle school kid or a ninth grader, um, and my brother's physically uh, stronger than me, and he's has this, has had this for the years of living at home with him, um, that he had 
the upper hand, and he had, um, you know, knew how to damage me. Um, and, you know, the only thing I could do, which wasn't healthy, was to, um, to try to get at his Achilles heel was um, about his mental health. And I just, you know, used to tell him, you know, you're a really sick person. You're a really sick person. And I would just say that over and over, and it got to him. And that was about the only thing I could do. Um, but those aren't healthy ways of relating. Um, and uh, so, I, you know, this question, I'm, I'm a little puzzled because I, you know, when a, being abused by a family member when you're a child, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't, when I, when, when my brother um, sexually abused me, I didn't know it was sexual abuse. I just thought, you know, I was being curious and then my brother you know, started fondling me and giving me oral sex, and then he wanted me to give him oral sex, and it was just confusing, and I, all I could remember was, um, you know, brothers aren't supposed to do this with each other, and boys aren't supposed to do this with each other, but oh my God, this feels amazing. And um, so it set me, you know, uh, on a, a template of, well, this does feel good, and this is supercharging, um, but it was, you know, unhealthy, and it was, I was being preyed upon, and, uh, but I, I didn't know how to advocate for myself. I never would have told my parents, uh, my parents were divorced anyways after, when I was four, and I would have never told my mom, um, and I would have never told my dad. Um, and, um, so anyway, I'm just kind of rambling about that. Uh, why don't you start on the next one? Thanks, Brian. Um, now th this one's a little, little complicated for me. So I'm going to go through this because I, I, it deserves some kind of an answer. That's for sure. I wonder if this computer, laptop, phone, or iPad is filtered. <laughs> um, you know, en enter the porn site. And he talks about some different um, accountability programs. But the question is, is there any way to see if there is a filter without entering a porn site? And the first thing that came to my mind was, is there any way to find out if I hit the bottom if, without having to actually step off the edge? Um, that's what came to mind for me. Um, I think many times the manipulator in me wants to find a way around different things. Um, the real answer here would rely, I would rely on a sponsor. That's what I would do. Um, you know, I'm not a techie guy, so I can't answer that. But what it comes when I think of my side of the street with a question like that is, Am I pushing the edge? You know, I, I used to push the edge quite a bit. Oh, yeah, by the way, I did hit bottom. A lot. A lot of bottoms. Because I got to the edge and I went, 
I wonder. And there I went. There I went. It seemed like a really good decision at the time. But so many of my choices seemed like a really good decision at the time. Um, when I think of this in relation to our topic about um, staying on my side of the street, I mentioned earlier about check-in often uh, with sponsors, with people in the program. Um, you know, I'm thinking about checking the filter on my computer. What do you think? Why do you want to do that? <laughs> Just trust that it's there and don't go to the site. You know, trust that there is a bottom and don't step off the edge. Recovery for me has been more about doing the next indicated step, following direction, learning the principles. You know, there's a part in, in the big book, we stood at the turning point. Well, there's a lot of turning points. We come into this program and we're introduced to this idea of sobriety. And for me, that is the turning point. I have now gotten sober, now what? Well, hold on because you're about to see your life get changed. If you're really serious about recovery, Remember, sober is not well. Sober means maybe you're going to start getting a little bit of clarity, like, oh my God, what have I done? Um, where before it was, oh, am I doing something wrong? I didn't know that. Um, now you're able to start seeing your side of the street. And so I usually remember that I'm supposed to follow the instructions of the program, both uh, from my sponsors, from people in the program with me, from the literature. And then, when I come to the edge, I will recoil from it like a flame. You know, I don't want to check out whether that filter program is working. I don't want to. Let somebody else that can handle it better than I can. I'm not the guy to do that. Um, that's the best answer I could come up with with that one. Um, Brent? Um, this one basically you answered. Um, this is what? You, I said that basically you answered the, and oh. what you said. Okay. So it would be redundant. Um, how does fear come into play of knowing what to do when a family member who lives across the street? I have a desire to have a restored relationship before death falls upon either one of us. So thank you for whoever wrote this. And... Uh, the, the hope I he hear here is uh, that you want a restored relationship. But just like we, I talked about earlier, uh, um, it takes two to tango. You know, if there's the other willing person is completely <clears throat> shut down, completely resentful, completely doesn't want to speak to you, um, you're powerless over that. Um, but... Uh, what you can do is pray for that person. Um, and I would say that's the best tool in a situation like this because only um, a higher power can change someone's heart, you know. Um, so it's, I'm encouraged to see you want restoration and uh, have reconciliation uh, but sometimes in this life, we're not going to get that. I didn't get that with my brother. Um, and, and other times you can. And, and you know, it's, it, there's not like a real easy formula that just do this and this and then happy endings. 
Um, sometimes we, we don't get what we want. And sometimes, uh, you know, that's really hard. And then other times, people's hearts can change. People can change. So, you want to go to the next one? A real quick follow-up to the previous question. Before coming here, I called my tech company and they checked it for me. Great choice. <laughs> Wonderful choice. We make good choices. Um, you know, that's, that's really, there's the answer right there. Let somebody else check it. Somebody who can handle it, not me. Um, I'm really grateful that I was sober before I learned how to use a computer. Um, because I would have been at all of those sites, I can guarantee it. I had my son when he was younger on parental controls, and I have some of those images that came across when I was getting in information, and my first thought was, is that what they've been talking about? I can make that work. Um, so yes, I like using the computer, and uh, fortunately that particular area is not part of my behavior uh, yet. Always had the word yet. Um, question says, how does somebody stay on their side of the street and balance that with the urging of some faith traditions to admonish those acting improperly or exploitively? <laughs> Which is a good question. So I, can, I don't think there's any one answer, so I can only share my own experience, strength, and hope. Um, when I came into program, uh, I had had a, a faith tradition. I was very um, active in that faith tradition at one time. The honest answer really is I did my best flirting at church. I set up my very first affair at church. Church was not the problem, of course. I was the problem. Um, but I still had some pretty dogmatic thinking uh, that I had been taught from my faith tradition. Um, over the years, a lot of that thinking has changed for me. Um, my faith tradition hasn't changed. Um, you know, one example is, is some of the things that I, and philosophies that I have studied. You know, there was a point where I thought, oh no, I could never look at anything like that. That ranks right up there with devil worship. Um, because I had been taught that. So I started reading about some of these other philosophies and nothing happened and lightning didn't strike me and all it did was really to enhance my own beliefs in my chosen uh, path of spirituality. Um, so I would probably challenge anyone to be open-minded. Um, maybe what Maybe what happened had to happen for me is, and what did happen for me is that I got a little bit different slant on the things that I had been taught. Much of, not much, but many of the things that I was taught, I don't adhere to that anymore. I don't see that anymore as, as being conducive, first of all, to my program, this program, but being conducive to how I relate to others. Um, that's my experience. Like I said, I wish I could give you an answer, um, but I think you're going to have to find that on your own. Um, I don't want to uh, ever 
be the one that admonishes somebody because then again I'm now getting on your side of the street um, I find uh, I will leave that also to those that are better able to handle it I can't you know I was in a previous session I talked about uh, character defects and for me defects of character are just characteristics that have become yes defective um, and so the one I use is management skills. I have some pretty good management skills, and those are great characteristics. But my defect is they become control issues really quickly. And so I am constantly asking God to keep me humble and to remember that it's not about control. It's about just using what he, the gift he has given me. So how that relates is when I start thinking that I can admonish somebody, I can't do that. Maybe somebody else can. Let them do it. I can't, and I need to stay out of that, that side of the street um, because it'll lead me down other paths, and I don't think I want to go there. <laughs> uh, this one's entitled Honesty. I have some old patterns of trying to get money in not completely honest ways. <clears throat> Fudging numbers a little. Um, it's a bit of an addiction. Will this cause relapse? Um, honesty is, you put it right on the button um, with the title, because fudging is not being honest. And uh, as we, you know, in progress is, we all, no one, in, in, in any, no one is perfect. But we, if we stride to do the right thing, um, and if we make mistakes, we can make amends. We can talk to our sponsor. We can talk to your group, um, your home group, whatever. But um, actively doing something that's dishonest is not going to get you any reward. Um, it's just going to probably give you more anguish. And, it's and, and if you continue down the road of being dishonest and just... You know, uh, the, the word fudging, like, oh, it's not really that bad, you know. Um, you know, what's going to be next, you know, if you're keeping on that path? So, and you're right, this will cause relapse. This will cause relapse. So I would say be transparent with your sponsor. Tell him what you don't want to tell him. That's always been my... Uh, you know, way I relate with my sponsors, like, oh, I've got to let you know about this now. So, and uh, I think there was one more over here. This is the last one. You probably have years of experience more than me on that. <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> How can I stay on my side of the street with my kids? I have a three and a half year or a three year old, and sometimes I need her to get dressed, and she doesn't want to, but we need to leave the house and go to school etc so just real quickly a little background I have nine children <laughs> wow. 
And that's why I said, good luck. <laughs> you know, it has to do, we started this off about responsibility. Uh, responsibility for my side of the street. Well, if you're a parent and you're raising children, pretty understandable that that's your side of the street. Most definitely. You are charged, whether you like it or not, to raise a child, to instruct your child, and it means a whole lot of, let's call it interaction. <laughs> um, none of my kids came with an instruction book. None of them. And none of them were the same as the other one. What worked for one, I've got this down, didn't work for the other. And so it was definitely a challenge. But it's knowing where. Now, real quickly, I was not in recovery with most of my kids. So I violated every single thing that we're talking about uh, today. Um, but in recovery, um, I still have a boomerang kid that stays with us. You know, those ones that you send away and they <laughs> come right back. So I just got, one of, got rid of one of my other boomerang kids. So I got one left. And so he's able to watch some changes in me over the years. Um, and, yeah, it's a different, different. We have a pretty good relationship, not just because he's an adult now, but... I've gotten back over on my side of the street. I still instruct him. I always will. You're always going to be a parent. Um, but recovery has taken its effect on me. And the good news is I had absolutely nothing to do with it. So, you know, my answer to the question is, um, do your due diligence in raising children? Um, they're on your side of the street, uh, most definitely. But... There is a balance. Uh, I, I always try to allow my children, all of them, even out of recovery, to make some of their own decisions um, because they need to learn how to make good choices. That's why I never knew how to make good choices because my parents were into my life constantly and making all my choices for me. So I uh, let your kids make, make some choices. Um, and with that... I love God's timing because two things have happened. We're out of questions, and we're also out of time. Amazing how that happens. So, Anything you've heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. And if you would, we could do a real quick circle up, and we'll do, a, do a, maybe the third step prayer. Would you like to do that, Brian? Sure. Okay. Say the third step prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that I may fear over them and may bear witness to those that will help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Keep coming back and worse in your work. Thank <laughs> you.
I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.